to talk this morning about three words, three words that I think define every life, or they don't define every life, they don't have to define every life, but they definitely fall into every life, and we all deal with these three words. In fact, probably everyone in the room is dealing with these three words right now on some level. The first word is before, not before, before, the actual word before. Um, You all brought some before with you today. We all have a lot of before in our lives. In fact, if you think how old you are, how many years have you, that's how much before you have. We all have stuff that defined our life, that marked us, experiences, uh, relationships, belief systems, ideologies, things that have become a part of our soul markers that we bring everywhere we go. I talked to a girl once, it was my first meeting with her, and one of the first things she said to me was, one thing I know, I will never get married. She was 17, I will never get married. Do you hear a little before in that statement? She didn't just arrive there, she didn't parachute into that statement, she, lived a story with her dad. And she brought that into 17 with predetermined uh, ideas for her future because of everything that had come before. One of the coolest befores in my life is uh, two people. Their names are Stan and Ellen. They are my parents. They're the best thing about me. They're the biggest advantage I've ever been given in life. My parents, Stan and Ellen, who just taught me to really love Jesus well. And that has been good in my life. That's a good before. But I think I told you this, this story before, maybe a while ago, about my first grade teacher. I actually had been having a little disagreement with my husband one night, and I saw a pattern in my life in communicating with him where I just could not, for any reason, for any amount of money, admit that I was wrong. I know it's shocking. I just felt, it wasn't just like, I want to be right. It was like, if I'm wrong, What will happen? What will that say about me? What will the consequences be? And I I knew that I was off. You know, have you ever had those those discussions with someone and as you're saying something, you're like, why am I saying, do I believe this? Is this who I am? And so I got up early in the morning with my journal and I just kind of sat in front of the Holy Spirit and said, what is up with this kid? Something is not okay. And immediately, no joke, not even a second passed, before I saw my first grade teacher, and her name is Mrs. Matthews, and she was also my dad's first grade teacher. So she was old and grumpy. She was, she was a lot of things, but she was not very friendly. And I remembered um, that there was one kid in our class that she particularly didn't like, and she used to call him up front and spank him in front of us. And um, I remember feeling just this deep shame every time, just humiliation and shame. And in my moment on the couch, I'm realizing I connect ever being wrong with shame. And I realized in this moment, six-year-old Bo is calling the shots for 56-year-old Bo. My before is calling all the shots of now. So some of our before is good, some of our before is bad. We gotta deal with it no matter what. And we'll talk more in the coming weeks about how we identify and and deal with some of that. But I wanna go, oh, but we do know this, and this is a good point. God is in our before, he's in all of it. Jeremiah, one of these just barn burner of a verse that sometimes I read past these things and I don't, 
I don't stop to think what it means when he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before the before, before your parents ever met each other, God knew you. Something about you was present in his presence before you were formed. What? I mean, there's so much inside that one line. There's so much inside that one truth. If that was the only place we saw it in the Bible, I wouldn't want to preach it. That'd do violence to the word of God, but that's not the only place we see it. We also see David say, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. We see this knowing of God in our lives. Your eyes saw my unformed substance when I was knit together in the depths of the earth. There is something that God knows about you. I would suggest to you, not in my notes, I don't wanna get too far off track, but it's your purpose. It's why you were formed. It's that he, he, he formed a prophet to the nations and then he put flesh and bone and muscle and sinew around Jeremiah and sent him into 800 BC, Jerusalem, and said, be who I created you to be. Your purpose is pretty sturdy. Whether or not you've identified it, it still exists inside of you. It's called the Imago Dei. It is in you. So before, there are all kinds of before things that define us, all kinds of before things that mark us, but then there's another word, and the other word is beyond. Beyond is all the things we're looking toward. I think we're wired up to wanna be forward-facing people. We're wired up to wanna know what's next. You know who thrives on capturing this what next desire in our lives? Hallmark, Hobby Lobby. You know, you go in at Christmas time and you're like, what is the Valentine's aisle doing here? And then you get to Memorial Day and you're like, it's Christmas again? What's going on? They're just like, you're not happy where you're at. Think ahead, think ahead, buy ahead, buy ahead, plan ahead, plan ahead. Always move forward. You always wanna get to the next space. I think beyond is a good thing. I think God, God is in it. Uh, Proverbs 29 says, without vision, people perish. And that word in the Hebrew actually just means to kind of unravel. Without anything to look forward to, we just kind of slip into to human weirdness. We start to talk weird and think weird and, and worry about silly things. And we just don't have a goal or a mission. And we were built for mission. We were built for purpose. Habakkuk 2 says, Then the Lord answered me, Write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the vision awaits an appointed time. Though it tarries, wait for it. It will come and will not delay. We are people built to run when we see the vision. So there is before, and there is beyond. And before it can be good, and beyond can be good. But there's one more word, and it's a little bit trickier, and I am sorry to say that word is between. The word between comes between before and beyond. It's like, have you ever gone to an open house? My husband and I love going to open houses, and we go and we admire the kitchen and the primary suite and the cool patio, but we have never left an open house and said, that house had the coolest hallways ever. I could just live right in that hallway. I love it so much. Nobody loves the hallways. Hallways aren't sexy. Hallways are boring. 
But hallways are functional because that's the only way we get to the next room. The only way we get where we want to go is through a hallway. But hallway seasons can be really frustrating. Seasons before, uh, between the before and the beyond, the what's finished and what's next, that can get long and irritating. For me, every airplane ride is a hallway that I hate. I hate it. It's like, I don't want to be in here anymore. There are lots of hallways in life. There are lots of hallway seasons. We see them in the Bible. God delivers miraculously, magnificently, the people of Israel from 400 years of slavery, and he parachutes them into the promised land. Nope. 40-year hallway. While they dispossess the giants so they can possess the land he's promised. While they build the muscle, they're going to need to keep it. David is anointed king, and then he takes the throne. Nope. David is anointed king, and then he runs for his life for 13 years. He flees. He wonders. He probably wishes a million times he had never been anointed king because that put a target on his head that wasn't on his head before. There's before... And then there's between, and between is hard. But in the 13-year hallway, God produced in David a man after his own heart who could lead his people well. In fact, if you look at the kings, you'll see that a lot of the kings that were just handed the kingdom really screw it up. We need some hallway seasons, even though we don't love them. There's a lot of them in our lives. There's a hallway of adulthood, does adulthood begin when you get your first job or when you get your driver's license or high school graduation or college graduation or the day you turn 21? I don't know, but I know there's lots of hallways in between all those events. There's lots of times of trying to figure out, am I an adult yet or not? Did it start yet or not? There's the hallway of purpose when you're in between jobs or ministry or your calling. Sometimes we mistake our way into the hallway Sometimes we do something stupid and we end up a place we didn't want to be and we're in the waiting place then. Sometimes the hallway just finds us. Sometimes it's the hallway of geography in between houses or cities or continents. Sometimes it's the hallway of health when your health keeps you stuck and you don't want to be. Often it's the hallway of grief, losing a spouse or a job or a fortune or a friendship or a child or a parent or a church or a dream. One dream dies, and we're waiting for another dream to be born, sometimes not even knowing what the next dream is, and that one is really easy to get stuck in, the hallway of grief. And there's the hallway of parenting. When your role as a parent begins to shift to something else, but you're still the parent, like somebody needs to know when they come home, right? Is it me? Am I still on duty? It's just hard. That hallway is hard. There are lots of them in our life, and there are characteristics that are kind of true in all the hallways, I think. One is that they're not super comfortable. We weren't really meant to live in hallways. We don't usually move our couch and our family picture. Well, sometimes you hang the family pictures on the hall because people are passing through, and they're going to look at them. But I've never been like, you know, I really am tired, and I want to go to bed, but this hallway is so nice. I'm just going to sleep here instead. I don't want to cozy up there. It's not comfortable. And hallways can be marked by discontentment. Maybe because of the discomfort, a hallway really isn't a place you want to stay very long. Hallways, I think, are sometimes marked by loneliness. 
People tend to pass through really quickly. And if you're stuck there, I think it can feel like no one understands you or like your life season is different than everyone else's. And this is an interesting thing because hallways are undoubtedly the most traveled places in our houses, but still they seem lonely when you're stuck in a season of transition where everybody else seems to be moving. And because of that, they can seem really unfair. We have to really watch our perspective when we're in a season of transition in our lives because everybody else's life looks like it is up and to the right. It is on the highway. It is going fast. And I'm just sitting here doing nothing waiting for God to take me to the next place. I kind of love this scripture from Job just because it's so dramatic and it sounds like I could have written it my own self. Why do the wicked, oops, sorry. Why do the wicked prosper, growing old and powerful? They live to see their children grow up and settle down and they enjoy their grandchildren. Their homes are safe from every fear and God does not punish them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows bear calves and never miscarry. They let their children frisk about like lambs. Their little ones skip and dance. They sing with the tambourine and the harp. They celebrate to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity, then go down to the grave in peace. This isn't true. That's not how all the wicked were living. That's just how Job saw it from his season of transition. And everybody's life looks better than ours when we're waiting for something that seems not to be happening. Our perspective can get off and everything can feel unfair. And then the beginning of one thing means the end of something else usually. And this means a transition is often characterized by a little or a lot of sadness. It can be hard to leave something behind, especially if we didn't choose to leave it behind. Sometimes it's bittersweet. You start a new job. It's sad to leave the old one. And sometimes it's just bitter. But hallways can be filled with something else. Holy anticipation. Transition seasons can be filled with dreams and visions. This can be a place where scripture comes alive and new pictures begin to form in your thinking because the transition season is meant to take you to a place you haven't been yet. And it is good to go where we've not yet been. And so the hallway can be filled with the voice of God telling us which way to go and giving us some pictures of what it will look like when we get there. But we can really easily blow it in seasons of transition between coming and going, between winning and losing, between sorrow and singing. Transitions are huge and important and uncomfortable and meant to get us to the next place. But when Jesus fills them with his presence, we won't overstay and we won't be outwitted during our time in the hallway. We won't get tricked. Because I've seen plenty of people enter the hallway of loneliness and jump out of it into something that didn't work, wasn't better for them. Transition creates a distinctive marking point in your memory that organizes the way you'll think back on your life. So transitions are just really, really important. It's important to handle it well. I love a good manifesto. I love a good word bullet. I love words that I can shoot into a problem. That always helps me. And so I have one for you this morning. You can take or leave it, but I really like it, and I've been living by it for a long time. Actually, I've been living by it since the hallway of widowhood for me, which I entered in 2015, and, and I had to figure out who I was then before whatever else I was going to be. Before I became a wife again, I lived in the hallway of widowhood, and God taught me so much there, but this was my manifesto. The first one, beware easy escapes. 
I think we need to adopt a no plan B's policy. Our, our purpose is not to get an education. Our purpose is not to be a pastor. Our purpose is not to become a teacher or find a spouse. Or Our purpose is spelled out in Philippians. Paul spelled it out perfectly for us. To know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That is my primary purpose. Everything else is plan B. So plan A lasts no matter what. Plan A is an action whether or not you get a divorce. It's an action whether or not you lose the job. It's an action whether or not you feel like a success or a failure. You can still engage in plan B for your life, which is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Plan B is always there and easy escapes exist. It is easy to move out of a season of financial pressure when we're going to save, we're going to get out of debt, but it is easy to move out quickly with a credit card. It's easy to take on a little debt and just move out, get out of that season, and then you land in a hallway of debt later on. It's easy to, to escape a lonely life into a lonelier marriage. And so we just want to watch for all the ways that we can get tricked inside of transition to, to, to the voice of some, the enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy by saying, come this way. Step out easy. We see him do it to Jesus three times in the wilderness. Here's an easy way out of your hunger. Here's an easy way out of obscurity. You could be worshiped. You could be fed. You can have power. You can have it all right now. You don't have to go through the three-year road you're about to walk. Hallways are worth it. It's worth staying until Jesus says it's time to go. The second thing is embrace the solitude that comes in waiting. There's beauty in quiet spaces. There's beauty inside seasons of transition where it feels like, I don't know if the world understands my life right now. I don't know if they see or understand exactly what I'm going through right now. That is when Jesus steps in and he is a friend like no other. Hosea 2, one of my favorite scriptures, I think Alex quoted it last week as one of his favorite scriptures. Behold, I will allure her to the wilderness and I will speak comfort to her there. And that wilderness, the valley of trouble will become a door of hope, a door to a new place, a door to a place you've never been. Hallway seasons are filled with the voice of God if we'll listen. They're filled with his presence. Jesus will meet you there. The third thing is constantly, consciously, Mine for beauty in this season. Constantly, consciously, mine for beauty. What is here for me? What could I find here that's beautiful? What could happen here? As you get good at this in your own life, as you start to catch all the miraculous and beautiful things God is doing, you, doing for you in transition seasons, you're gonna start to see it in other people's lives too. We see this actually in Paul. The Apostle Paul is called to one of the big, big missions of all time. He is called to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He is called by Jesus himself. Paul is called to that mission, and he immediately gets up and going, and then his purpose keeps coming to a crashing halt in the hallway of prison. He's stuck in prison, that doesn't make any sense at all. That is not a good use of God's resources. Why would God allow it to happen? What does Paul do in prison? Writes the Bible. 
He writes, uh, that is a Roman, uh, Romans, Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon in prison, stuck there. And we have from that the beauty from his transition season. We get the beauty that Paul mined in a season of loneliness and quietness, arguably a season of loneliness and quietness, unlike any of us are going through right now in this room, stuck in a Roman prison, he writes the Bible. We have beauty from the season. He keeps finding beauty. And when we keep searching for beauty right where we're at, when we keep looking for it, write it down. When you see beauty in the season you're in, write it down. Tell somebody else about it. See how God is showing up in your life. Talk about it. Does it take place of the pain and the frustration of the hallway? Nope. Sorry, but it exists and it's beautiful. And someday it'll be a light on somebody else's hallway. It'll be a light on somebody else's road. What God does in us in transition seasons is so good for the long haul. It's so good for the people around us and for us ourselves. It's so good. And then number four, stoke the embers of adventure. Dare yourself to dream and believe and imagine what could be beyond this moment. What might the rest of the house look like when I get up and going? What might be out there? What is God calling me to? What is God wanting to do in me in the, in the, in the process? Stoke the embers of adventure. Start to see. Christians, I am sorry to tell you, are a little bit too boring for me right now. We're just finding things to fight about and call that the gospel. But this is a moment where we can say, I want to dig in and I want to find what God is saying and I want to see where might he go? Where might he sail this ship? What could happen if we were willing to pull up anchor and go wherever he says go as soon as he says it? It could be so cool. It could mean the difference between someone in our city finding hope and help and not. You weren't meant to live in the hallway. You were meant to move on to something more beautiful. And so listen, stir it up. Ask God for what he's doing. Ask God for what you can see in your life. What's coming? What's the beauty here? So here at B4, we are in a hallway season. We are in a season of transition. We are in a season where there is a before and there is a beyond. And here we are in between. Our denomination is in the search for a new lead pastor, but um, that search is going to be patient and lengthy, and we're going to let it because we're okay in the hallway because Jesus is here, because he is doing things we cannot even imagine, and he is going to do things we haven't dreamed of yet. You know why? Because this is his church. Because this is his church. Because we don't change captains on the ship. He is the captain of the ship. And so we are in good hands. I understand that this hallway is filled with lots of emotions. People are in all different places. There are some people that are just dropping in today or you, you are new over the last couple of months and it doesn't feel like a hallway to you. Great, we bless you to live in that. That's great. Some people are feeling a lot of sadness. Some people are feeling a lot of hurt. Some people are feeling other things 
and frustration, all of the things that we already said are in every hallway because transition is hard on us humans. It's just hard. We know that everyone is feeling that. Everyone brings their own before into situations like this. And so I just, we can't, we're not smart enough to pastor everyone's emotional thing through every season. But I'll tell you what we can do is be mindful that everyone is in a different season, that everyone has something that they're carrying. Everyone brings some before. Everyone has a hope for beyond. Everyone is in a hallway season together. And hallways are filled with people where there's a lot of us in this one. And so there's going to be conversations because we process out loud. And that's fine. But let's just commit to listen to Jesus in our processing, to listen to him as we go. We're working to provide as many resources as we can to keep you updated and informed. Um, we <clears throat> sent a letter out this week, and we set up a new web page. It is b4church.org updates. We're committed to updating those weekly as the process goes on, and not just with how the search is going, but also what's going on. We, wanna, we want that to be a space where we consciously and constantly mine for the beauty that is in this season because it's good. We're still doing the work of reaching our city and beyond. Um, the pastoral search is only one part of where we're at, but we are all here together. And I'm so happy that we're all here together. I'm so thankful for you and our staff and the people that call before home. And so a lot of people have asked me, what, what can I do during this season? And how is the staff and how can I support you? And thank you for asking, that's the best question ever. So three things. One is just keep showing up and be a voice of hope in our community. You are invaluable. You matter. And so keep showing up. We need you. You are here not by accident. You are here for such a time as this. And then serve somewhere. We would love to have you serve somewhere. Our kids team, um, our safe campus team, Youth for the City, all of them would love to see your face and have you sign up. That would be fantastic. There are lots of places you can get involved here. You can check at the info center afterwards or check online because we would love to have your investment. And that's something that I've found, that when I'm in a waiting season, the worst thing I can do is just sit around and worry about waiting. I don't need to serve. I need to do something positive with my time. And so we would love to have you involved in serving. And the last one is the big one. It's really, really big. It's really big and it's, it's non-negotiable. Pray. Pray, 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 pray. This church was founded on a principle of prayer. I was in a conversation on Friday where a friend of Ron Mel, the founding pastor, um, said that he would travel often during the week and he said he would miss a Sunday before he would miss Thursday prayer. Prayer is the way we sail. Prayer is where we go. Prayer is how we get where we're going to go. <clears throat> Pray for the work that's being done on our campus and in our world, for the staff as they work really hard to reach our kids at soccer camp and youth for the city and day camp, for our adult ministries team as they uh, work with marriages and single parents and connect people to resources that will give them Jesus and hope and hope and hope and health. 
Um, for Pastor Christina, as she works with the team that translates our services into, I don't even know how many languages anymore. It's just the hardest working team that shoots the gospel out to the world in the most amazing ways. Pray for the seat you're sitting in today because next week somebody might be sitting in it whose only hope is Jesus. Pray. And when you worry about what's happening, pray. That's not my rule. I didn't make that up. You know what that is? That's the beauty mind from Paul's time in prison. It's the beauty spoken to Paul during his hallway season in the first century AD, spoken into our hallway season in 2023. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. I love those sweeping words, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to who? To God. Let your requests be made known to God. Let all your worries push you to Jesus. Let every worry go there first. You can always bring questions to us. I'm going to give you another one, beforechurch.org slash questions. You can send us questions and you can send us worries too. But don't send us your worries until you've taken them to Jesus. Ask him, ask him for peace, ask him for direction, ask him for hope, ask him for vision. He'll show up to you, he will. This is a beautiful system. I start to fear, I start to get nervous. Oh, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, let all of my requests be made known to Jesus and he will give me peace. So pray, because it refocuses our worries onto the one who has answers pray because we believe it works and pray because we believe in miracles. We are going to start a series on miracles next week. I am so excited about it. We're going to launch this series and we're going to immerse ourselves in the miracles in the New Testament, all of them. Um, not so that we can be the best reciters of the way Jesus used to move when he had power. So we can get to know the way Jesus wants to move now, today, in our current history, in our day now. We want to see miracles at before. We want to see miracles in Beaverton and beyond. We want to see the blind see and the lame walk. We want to see things happen in our day. And so we're going to talk about miracles and we're going to see what God wants to show us and how he wants to begin to move in us and change our lives and heal our hearts and heal our befores and establish our beyonds. He's gonna meet us in this time and I am so excited about how that will look. So I wanna take just a minute and respond before we give the final blessing. And I'd love you just to respond during this song and ask the Lord, what is the season that I'm in? Is this a transition season with your job or with contentment or with hope or resources? Do you need strength to endure? Maybe you need strength to leave a situation. Let's ask God for your next right thing. Ask him. I loved when I was a kid and, and we would play tag and there would always be a home base. That's where you get to be safe. That's where nobody gets to get you. That's where you don't get chased, is home base. Let's just, in this moment, come back to home base. And home base is what? You are seen, you are known, you are loved by God. Just come back to home base. 
and ask him, what do you want to say to me right now? Where do you want to take me next? We want to speak into this season. We're going to have an opportunity for you to pray with people too. But for this moment during this song, just take a minute and get in front of him with your season and ask him some questions.